I'm going to jump right in and hopefully do a mic check with Troy. Troy, it's Troy Russ. Can you hear me okay? I can. Thank you, Howard, for having me on. All right. First of all, welcome. It looks really nice behind you there. Is that really how it is in Crested Butte with the hot air it's balloon? Little, I'm not sure you could see Whetstone today. It's a little smoky. It is. Let me ask you, can you just tell me who you are and your position within Crested Butte um, first, then we'll jump into more questions after that. Sure. I am the community development director for the town of Crested Butte. Okay, that's quick. What does the community development director do? Uh, we sort of manage development in the town. Anything on private property, the town manages through zoning regulations, initiatives. We lead transportation studies as well as housing okay. within the town. I just want you, I mean, Moab has a unique situation, but in a way we're very similar in a sense that we're both resort towns. We both depend on this um, industry called tourism. I just would like for you to give, if you can, a little um, history of particularly housing in that situation in Crested Butte. I mean, what have you done, not to discuss what you did in the last few weeks or what happened in the last sure. few weeks, but up to this point, just just give our community a little history of the process of this housing in Crested Butte, if, if you can. So the town of Crested Butte is a historic mining town in the Elk Range in central Colorado. And um, really housing became an issue as after the ski resort opened in the late 60s. And once Crested Butte opened, there was uh, sort of an insatiable demand to move to Paradise. And I call it Paradise because we have the Paradise Divide just west of town. That's not a local bias. I'm geographically accurate. A little plug in uh, there. <laughs> right. And so, but with that, we've always had a housing challenge. So the town really started to address it in the late 80s uh, with some zoning initiatives, some ADU requirements, and uh we have some of the state of the art in terms of accessory dwelling units in requirements. We have 600 in town and uh, they're required to have long-term rentals uh, within it. So we have a long history of regulating affordable housing. Uh, we're just getting into the business of building affordable housing. Uh, right now, about 25% of our total housing stock is affordable. It comes out to be at 305 affordable deed restricted units. So we're doing I think quite well in terms of the total, but the realities of the resort community plus remote workers, the town is at a distinct disadvantage uh, because we won't be able to keep up with the housing demand. Let me go back, if I may, to your late 80s. I mean, I know you maybe weren't in Crested Butte at that time, but if you have any recollection of how they did this, did the insured housing plan, did it have any means of obtaining funding from developments? No, at the time it was a zoning requirement. So if you wanted to invest in the town of Crested Butte, you needed to uh, have an option. You could choose either to build an, uh, an accessory dwelling unit, or if you didn't want to put one on your property that requires a long-term rental, you had to do a payment in lieu of. Um, and so a payment in lieu of uh, resident affordable housing. So there was some of sort of taxation available. No for taxing. No, no it, just was just, it was just zoning. Zoning. Uh, if they chose not to build what they were required, then they would pay a fee in lieu of. Does that continue up to this day with development? It or? does. Okay. It's a very successful program the town has. Okay, what else has Crested Butte done? You mentioned deed restrictions. For those that maybe don't understand that concept, would you mind explaining it? Sure. A deed restriction is a contract between the property owner and the town. And within that contract, we have a variety of different deed restrictions. Some of them simply require local um, occupancy. And they have proof of local residency within the county uh, of Gunnison County or uh, more advanced deed restrictions also uh, restrict appreciation and how much the property's value can grow. 
So that's not of all, all of our deed restrictions, but many of our deed restrictions are appreciated caps. And those are the projects that the town built and then subsequently sold. So once we built the properties, uh, we sold them to owners, uh, some of them businesses that rent to their employees, other just employees within Gunnison County. And then they, they can only appreciate about 2% a year uh, in perpetuity. So we set the maximum sales price if they ever want to sell the property. And that protects the, you know, obviously the land around it is going up in value, but that keeps that base for the an affordability range, I would imagine. Is, is Correct. Okay. Yeah, no, and and uh, it keeps it affordable for the locals. Now, what do you base affordability on in Crested Butte? Is it a percentage of earnings or is it, is it, is it's it weighted? A, it's, a percentage, it's a percentage of earning like the rest of the United States. About 30% of the income okay. is considered uh, affordable if 30% of the income goes to housing. Okay. Um, and that's pretty much a national standard. Yeah. Also, you mentioned ADUs, which I'm assuming you mean accessory dwelling units. I know there's a lot of jargon in the industry. Yes, there is. <laughs> not, to, not all our listeners know everything, you know, so it's an education. So what is an accessory dwelling unit for those that don't know what it might so be? It, it, think of it as an apartment above the garage, often called granny flats, where in-laws live within the same property. So it's a secondary housing unit on a property, uh, typically very small in size and uh, in the back. The primary structure... Uh, is the primary residence of the house and accessory would be an accessory use to that house. So typically it's an apartment within the property. Let me ask him, is your community being, um, I don't know how you describe this, but in any other term than this, I mean, in a way, if you rent a house in a, in a residential zone, in a way that's an income source for the homeowner, but there's a whole new one that came on the agenda and you may be aware of this in Crested Butte because we sure are on Moab called the Airbnb. Which oh, yeah. um, basically converted what was residential units into overnight accommodations. Moab has over 300, by the way, in case you want to know our number on those events. We actually have bed and breakfast too, but these are in addition. And then we have another process, which I'm sure you're quite familiar with because of the deed restrictions, and that's gentrification. Do you have any of that going on in Crested Butte? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I used to live in Aspen, I, so. I, I don't know how to put this mildly. Uh, we have gentrification on steroids occurring. <laughs> right now come here we'll, we'll uh, so the average I, I think we should so our average housing price in 2018 was eight hundred thousand. Wow. average housing price now is 1.4 million wow. two years later so that means so I'm, I'm, yes very steroids people. so people are pricing out the the uh the ability of residents locals to even get into the market has now been eliminated yeah there is no opportunity it sounds we haven't had a market rate rental built in Crested Butte since the early 2000s. Wow. You mentioned now you're getting into the business of building um, actual... We are. Okay. Can you explain exactly what that... I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, it's something that hasn't really been considered yet in Utah. So we're, I'm really interested to get some enlightenment from how you do that, in your state at least. So we are... I am a housing developer in the town of Crested Butte. Uh, next year, I will be starting the construction of 80 additional residential dwelling units that are all deed restricted that the town will mix between apartments, townhomes, quads, reflex, triplexes, and single family. And we will sell them. And we'll probably keep the multifamily and rent them and have the Gunnison County Housing Authority manage it for us. Uh, but we are we build uh, residential units. We've built about 300 in the town already. Uh, equates about 25% of our total housing stock. So we're doing pretty well there. And we're going to do another 80 next year. 
What advice would you give to a government that was um, considering Get the land as soon as you can. <laughs> Talking of land, that's another good subject. I, and I realize you're in Gunnison County, but you're probably pretty landlocked too by federal lands, I would imagine. There's a lot of national forests. We are, yeah, we are surrounded by two wildernesses and several na- and, and the Gunnison National Forest. So that limits the BLM your- has a bunch of land as well, just like you all. Has there ever been any consideration of approaching the federal government for some assistance in this issue since they are in control? Of- no. No. Is that just no? No, just no, no, we have, so we have many values in the town of Crested Butte. And one of them is open space and our natu- natural recreation and access to it. Okay. And we don't want to compromise one value for another. We don't do anything at the expense of our core values. So we sure. won't do housing at the expense of the natural environment. What about um, within your jurisdictions? Do you consider things like upzoning and maybe going an extra story to inc- really for a density? Because I, all I hear right. about it's, is density. Like if yeah, you want to. That's, that's right. Density is so like the currency. There's different strategies of building your way out and compromising. So we also have a core value related to the historic character of Crested Butte. And so pumping up the density while you can do it trivially without changing the character of Crested Butte, if you're aggressive about it, you'll fundamentally change the architecture and character and the view sheds and the experience of Crested Butte. And the architecture is as important as the inhabitants because the, the architecture actually dictates who lives here. And so we have very strong historic preservation ordinances uh, that assure some affordability because you can't demolish a home in Crested Butte. Uh, you have to go an arm and a leg to figure out how to demolish. So we don't, we aren't seeking additional density. We are seeking uh, more of a comprehensive strategy on how to deal with the housing and expanding the economy is not the way to do it. Okay. We've learned from Aspen. We've learned from other communities. Tell your eye. But if you can't build your way out of this. Thing. Are you working your way to diversify away from tourism? It seems to be a common theme in this area. Like, okay, we've, we don't want tourism anymore. Let's do something it's else. It's easy to say. Right. It's easy to say that. We're so remote. But I think the advent of remote working um, is certainly creating an opportunity to have full-time residents. And that's really Crested Butte's goal is to have full-time residents. Would you? Um, so we're doing a number of things. We have a very aggressive vacation rental ordinance that we implemented in 2016. Uh, we only have 212 residential units. It's capped. They can't have any more. And we are considering a moratorium this Monday. Wow. Uh, on second reading, a moratorium for no new vacation Airbnb short-term rentals. Um, so that's a part of the strategy. We're looking at what we call the community preservation fee. We're going to a ballot initiative this fall uh, to put a fee on second homes. Wow. Uh, awesome. We're working, we're working with the council. We're working with the council right now on what goes on to the ballot. But the draft concept is there would be a $7,500 fee annually. Um, there's about 400 dark homes in Crested Butte. And then what we want to promote is full-time residency. So I think when you ask about the, the economy and diversifying, I think your proximity to transportation gives you a much different opportunity. Except the traffic. Right. <laughs> we, we are, we're the road, we're the town at the end of the road. True. We have two wildernesses yeah. surrounding us and it's very difficult to get here. So attracting businesses is not the strategy either for us. Let me ask you about, I mean, it's interesting because this whole um, remote thing has been basically uh, something that's cropped up in the last year. Now it's interesting. It's, I, I'm kind of going to be the devil's advocate on this. 
And I know there's a big desire in this community too. It's been mentioned as far as these high-paying full-time jobs. Is there any danger to the local economy when all these workers come in from these high-paying out-of-town companies and can afford the housing because they make the salaries that are not really based out of your economy, but based in an economy <laughs> outside of the town? And does that not just right. as well compete with what you're able to offer your core industry, which is tourism? Of course. Well, of course. I mean, it, it displaces our housing. And that's, we've always had an imbalance in housing up until last year. And last year, now we have, and what I mean by an imbalance is we had a, a higher demand than supply, but we always were able to house our employees locally. And that changed. And, and, <laughs> and that changed dramatically in the last year with remote workers. And it wiped out whatever imbalance there was to no supply. Hmm. So, for example, when we declared our housing emergency. That, um, hold on a second there. I want to hear yeah. that again. What did you do? Oh, the town of Crested Butte on June 7th declared a housing emergency. What is that? And mean? when uh, it gives the t- it's an emergency order as if there was a fire or a flood that wiped out a part of the town uh, to give the government and the town manager specific powers uh, to address an issue and not um, be uh, curtailed by zoning ordinances or bureaucracy. Hmm. And so we bought a bed and breakfast. And if we followed traditional rules, um, it would have, wouldn't have been occupied until November 1st, but because of the emergency order, we can get people in there on August 1st. Now we're closing, we closed July 1st. So that's pretty good, 30 days to turn it around in a district that it's not allowed. So the town manager council authorized to bypass our zoning ordinances so we can accommodate that. It also allowed us, we have a camping order in town now, so you can camp in town uh, to deal wow. with some short-term housing issues sure. through October 15th. <laughs> can um, you come over here? So we're, we're getting pretty aggressive. We're yep. getting pretty aggressive. And, and the government's really, you know, really taking the bull by the horns it seems like and the emergency declaration is like boy you've got a you've got more than the <laughs> arms on the horns i think you've got a whole yeah but the, the sort of the signals to us to go to your original question yeah. is when we declared it we had over 110 jobs in documented sources available huh. uh, we had one house for rent wow one wow. let me ask we you have 1700 homes there was one so that's an inbound so that comes out to be about 15 percent of our total full-time and part-time workforce. So if remote workers come in, which we love full-time residencies, but if because of that, they displace the local workforce, we can't occupy a grocery store or a restaurant or um, we can't provide that. We don't have services. So sure. we have businesses that Closing. are only operating on four or five days a week. It's like here. Um, it's, it's like everywhere in a resort community. Mm-hmm. Um, without housing, you don't have an economy. Let me ask you this. I mean, Moab is unique in this sense in that our county seat is also the city seat in a way. We don't really have much beyond Moab in population in a pretty large county. Now, you operate in Gunnison County. Is that my, is that my understanding in Crested Butte? Is it Gunnison County? Yes, and Gunnison is the county seat. I just want to ask a um, couple of questions in regarding that. Obviously, Gunnison is not in Crested Butte. How far is Gunnison from Crested Butte? Gunnison is about 35 minutes. Do you, how many, do you estimate, do you estimate people traveling from Gunnison to Crested Butte for work? Without a doubt. Yeah. It's, it's and much it, like, uh, Pitkin well, County where yeah. Carbondale, Basalt and Glen Rifle and Peonia. And they're, they're, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I know this. Up there. So another, how does the county government, do they work along, do they work in partnership with you at the city to maybe help solve these problems? Or do you find there's a little conflict there that maybe their mission isn't the same as your mission? 
Um, we are partners. Uh, I mean, we have the town of Mount Crested Butte where the ski resort is. Uh, they have 600 uh, vacation rentals just for- Is that a different organization? You're not involved- It's a town that. north okay. of us with only 800 residents and they have almost the equal amount of short-term rentals. Wow. Uh, but then Gunnison sits 30 miles to the south, 35 miles to the south of us. And that's where the county seat is. All of us work really well together. Um, we're very aggressive on coming up. We're doing an, uh, a North Valley comprehensive plan to deal with housing. Uh, so yes, the county has been on board. Uh, they are building a 200 unit affordable development awesome. called Whetstone in the next three years. Uh, ours is coming out first. Theirs is coming in next. Um, another question on the, and I kind of talked about the county government. It's really great to hear that the two agencies are so aligned on this issue because it's obviously very critical for both entities. What about the state? I mean, does the state support what you're doing in the city of Crested Butte or do you find there may be some um, objection to some of the practices being done in your little town? No, the state, the state is challenged right now and the governor and the legislature are working several affordable housing bills through the legislature right now. I think the, the nuances in terms of Crested Butte, they're pretty good they're very good at funding new projects and expansion, but there's what we're interested also in is buying down some of the existing housing stock and converting it to deed restriction. Mm -hmm. And the state doesn't have a lot of resources because that's not really a practice that's commonly occurring. Um, and so that's where it could improve from the town's perspective. I also read in your in the newspaper article that covered this um, emergency declaration that it allowed a very interesting twist on these um, Airbnb scenarios that if those homes are transferred or sold, that they will cannot be used for that purpose again. Is that is that true? That's what the moratorium on Monday will. Okay, the that's moratorium. Not, okay. That's exactly what's being voted on Monday. Can I, they would not be able to go back into the vacation rental market. I have to tell you, everything you're telling me is is amazing and it really is a solution based you're really trying to solve the problem aggressively and accepting that you're a tourist destination and tourism is your industry and you have to work with it and make it better it sounds like well have you been to crested view yes i've hiked from aspen so, once. well no just well yeah not that the, the nature is fantastic yeah. but the town itself mm -hmm. so i think what aspen experienced in the 70s and steamboat in the 80s and telluride in the 90s um they had what we would call communities and they were all priced out and displaced and Crested Butte. That's what's This is the first generation of gentrification at an extreme level in Crested Butte. And we think the bigger threat to Crested Butte is the loss of what we call our community essence. Our no doubt. I agree. And, and so our housing and the moratorium is a 12 month moratorium. So we can do a comprehensive study on housing. It's not, to study vacation rentals. It's to put everything on pause and say, how do we do something different so we can save who Crested Butte is? And that's why we declared the emergency. Obviously, a lot of the things you've discussed require funding. I'm just wondering, how does Crested Butte um, fund a lot of these processes? Uh, is, there a, is there a travel tax or a tourism tax that you receive some benefit from as a municipality or anything like that? Or? So the, we have an excise tax on our vacation rentals. Okay. Um, that is dedicated to affordable housing. And that's our only dedicated funding source. Uh, but then we also have our rent, uh, real estate transfer tax. So when a property changes hands. What is it? Um, this, is, this is interesting because I don't know if you know this. I, I, I asked about this. I heard this from Telluride, the transfer tax, right? Yes. And I'm thinking, oh, um, Tom Cruise has got his house up for $25 million and at 3%, yes. that's $750,000 for the local government. Correct. 
guess what? In the great state of Utah, it's illegal to have a transfer tax. In the great state of Colorado, it is illegal. Is we it really? We are a grandfathered tax, so we're not touching that. Awesome. I'm really glad that you have that because it's another asset. Yeah, they, they did that long ago. Our, our forefathers in the 70s, 80s, and 90s this, did an exceptional job in prepping Crested Butte for this crisis. You had a lot. I mean, I, I must admit, Crested Butte had a lot of examples really close by. You mentioned Aspen at least four or five times. You mentioned Telluride. Uh-huh. And they kind of predated what's going on in your place. So you had good you know, role models. Just I mean, Aspen's really close to Crested Butte. I mean, you're just across the hills there, basically. 13 miles away. By so, but, you know, I, I use Aspen a lot in this community because Moab is facing considerable challenge we're the beehive state <laughs> you may have heard of that you know as utah and unfortunately in our hive the worker bees can find nowhere to live so you know our problem yep. the article that you talked that was mentioned that really got you to this point in this discussion mentioned communities that are um lagging in this process and i would have to say that if it were a race moab we bringing up the rear pretty bad. And it's, it's hard because we're battling, again, we mentioned the state. Um, I mentioned the state to you and asking your relationships. We're, we deal with all sorts of different agencies and not always aligning. So it makes solving problems a little bit more challenging down here. So um, anything else you would advise us to do? I mean, if you, if you say, hey, Moab, this is what you should do, what, you, what would you tell us to do? What would you advise? Prioritize. Free advice. Just prioritize your residents. Yeah. The, the, the soul of the community is at stake. And if the people who work there to supply the tourism industry, if they have to commute in, you're no longer Moab. Yeah. And you're, so and you're, and you're close. And you're also facing closures of businesses because they cannot supply, they don't have enough employees, so they have to close. It's not a choice. They're, they're open four or five days a week, and that's it. Well, I really want to thank you for taking time to spend a little bit of time with us here. I think you've been over here before. Your face looks a little familiar. Have you been in Moab for anything? I actually, back in the 90s, did the Arches Master Plan for the National Park Service. Oh, they've got, that's another interesting subject over here. You may have heard. I wasn't the bus, I was the bus shuttle guy. Well, we're still waiting for the shuttle, so there's still an opportunity here for you, Troy, if you want to come over and work with us a wee bit. <laughs> no, I try to bike over in Moab as much as I can, but I camp when I'm over there. Well, we have a lot of those options, too, as you well know. You certainly do. And we, so we've lost our camping. So that was another blow is um, Gunnison Forest just went into um, reservation systems. So that was a big blow to our local employees. Many, many camped. Oh, I forests. see. So it was more, that was a housing opportunity as opposed to a exactly. visitor opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And we've lost uh, that. We have that issue here, too. We have a lot of BLM and we only have two rangers. It's kind of another issue for three field districts, just an ongoing yeah, twice issue. twice as many as we have. Well, we have six million acres in our area, and we had yeah. three million. We have a little more, yeah. We had three million visitors on the public land measured before COVID. And wow. so these issues create all sorts of other issues. <laughs> Again, yeah. we all, we're all in it together, and I, I appreciate your time, Troy, and have a lovely summer. I'm kind of jealous you're up there at the higher elevations because it's 104 degrees here right now. No, I'm sorry about that, but we're just as smoky. I know. It's blowing in from everywhere. It's it's very sad. Well, take care, Troy, and thanks again. Come visit us, and we will hopefully get out and see you sometime. I'm glad to hear that you're, you know, really addressing your issues up there. Sorry you have an emergency, though. I wish you didn't have to do that, but there you go. Yeah, me too. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Troy Ross. They're from Crested Butte um, Community Development and dealing with their own particular situations, which include, of course, declaring a state of emergency within the city and... Well, you know, he mentioned 110 um, 
openings in positions in Crested Butte that justified the emergency. I'm just wondering how many positions are available in Moab and Grand County right now. Just a question. I do not know the answer, but I have a funny feeling it's more than 110. All right, I'm going to move on and play a little music. Um, Commissioner Walker is patiently waiting. He will be in the studio with me in just a few minutes. Kevin, welcome. Thank you for being here. We're going to really um, hone in on, uh, there's many issues we could discuss. I'm sure we could spend the whole evening in discussion, but we're going to really focus in on um, something that's really important that um, I guess came as a, a result of the census, I would imagine, and this is districting or redistricting. Yes, it's supposed to happen once every 10 years um, after the census is completed. So once every 10 years, we are supposed to redistrict to make sure um, population is equal between the districts. But um, interestingly enough, um, Grand County, even though we've had council or commission districts since the early 90s, has not done it before. The um, county councils in 2001 and 2011 neglected to do it. And that's why our current districts today have very unequal populations. Skewed. Yeah, I mean, just the population balance is, is way out of whack, and that's just because the county did not do it. But this year, we're going to change the district, so... We're going to do this. This is a fun thing to do on radio, because you can't draw. <laughs> <laughs> so you're yeah. going to have to paint a picture with your words. What is? Can you explain a little bit about how the districting works as it, as it is right now in Moab? Um, well, the, the existing districts, um, they... The, the the main issue with them is that there's very unequal population. The biggest district, which I think is District 4, has almost twice the population or, or twice the number of registered voters as the smallest district. And legally, you're supposed to be within about 10%, not within you know, 50%. So that that's a big issue. Um, also, curiously enough, one of our districts, District 3, is, isn't even connected. And um, again, that's generally... What do you mean? Meaning it's like <laughs> just two, in general? Two, two disjoint pieces. It's like... Oh, wow. It's got... Um, oh, I see. Okay. The, the area around like Rose Tree, but then it's also got the Grandview subdivision, but not, not in between. Weird. Was it, it just fill them in here and districts? Yeah, I, I don't know the history of that. Wow. I haven't, haven't researched it. But um, in any case, that that's all just history now, you know, within... A few months, we should have new districts. So. Explain, you know, what should we expect as constituents in this process, or where do we need to be involved, if at all? Um, well, I, I hope um, a lot of citizens will get involved. We want this to be a very open process, um, and we want to make sure that at the end of the day, you know, we can all agree that the districting was done in a fair and open way. There, there's no hanky-panky going on, and people thought about it and listened to all the input, and made a good decision that you know it doesn't mean we'll all agree but hopefully we can get something that everyone agrees is at least a, a, a not bad choice because people may confuse redistricting with something else that's similar but not the same and that's gerrymandering <laughs> <laughs> well yeah so i mean the one of the big um problems with redistricting is it can open up to gerrymandering and that's i, I think one of our big goals in the county commission is to make sure that no one thinks that we're gerrymandering um and I can go into quite a bit of detail about how one might might do that or not do that. Um, but but there's other, you know, we want to make sure populations are equal. We want to make sure that we don't split a neighborhood down the middle and things like that. So there's, there's a lot of considerations. But we already have a website up live where um, Grand County residents can go and try their own hand at drawing district lines. Okay. It gives you kind of automatic feedback. Um, about whether your population is balanced and things like that, and people can submit their own maps. So that's one of the ways in which we're trying to open up the process. 
it's probably going to be tricky because I mean I would imagine it will come down to just like streets of you know literally criss- you know you're going to be at borders between the uh, districts and it might crisscross through streets through town perhaps well th- so the way it's done is the the census bureau divides the county up into what are called blocks okay. and if we were in a big city they would be like a literal city block okay but in an area like Moab and, and that's what it, like in downtown Moab yeah each census block is a a city block um, when you get out in the Spanish Valley, they tend to have other shapes, but they tend try to basically cut things along streets or administrative boundaries or creeks like Pat Creek or something okay, like natural that. Natural borders. And so when you put together the districting maps, the default thing to do is to just assemble a bunch of um, census blocks and use those because the important thing about census blocks is we'll have exact census population counts for each block. If we were to try to draw district lines, which split a block in half, we would have to estimate the population, like how many people live on the north half and how many people live on the south. Let me ask this question. Had we, I mean, obviously we voted last year on our form of government, et cetera. And had we voted on at large, would this redistricting, would it still have to occur? Would it not matter at that point? Yeah, it, it would still have to occur. Okay. The, I think the, um, I mean, one of the um, the controversies during the, the, the form of government debate is that the, um, the study commission wanted to draw their own. They had a plan that called for just two districts, but they wanted to draw it as part of a plan, which which actually seems very reasonable. You know, why not? You know, people want to know what they're voting for. Yeah. But it turns out can't that the that. Utah Utah law, Utah Constitution says you can't do that. Yeah. You know, the only legislative bodies can draw this, and, and I think a lot of this is because the state legislature jealously guards its power to draw redistricting, and and then sort of by analogy that descends to counties, and so. Yeah, within a, within Grand County, the county commission is responsible for drawing the districts. It's got to be such a headache sometimes for you at the county. You know, you're you're only trying to do your best for your little community here, and then when you try and do something, you you go upstairs and say, "Nope, you can't do that." So, I mean, I I have empathy in your situation there. So, um, what will how long does the process take, and will it be something before the next election that will be done? Yeah, no, it should be done by the end of this year. It's, and it's kind of compressed this year because, as, as listeners may recall, you know, there was this COVID pandemic happening in 2020. There was? <laughs> and fires? <laughs> yeah. The, and the, um, that really slowed down the um, census business. And so okay. yeah, yeah, normally yeah. we would have the census numbers already and we would already be getting our hands dirty looking at different maps. Um, we don't expect to have the official census numbers until probably mid-August at the earliest. Have you any idea what our census numbers like? I mean, what was the participation? Was it as good as our election process? I, I do not know. <laughs> I, should, I have not heard any advance word. I, and I think the Census Bureau actually keeps that under very tight wrap. Okay. So I, no one, none of the politically connected people I know have any kind of foreknowledge of what the census is going to like because obviously the bigger the participation the more representative is of the population possibly yeah, yeah. And, and in particular if, the, if there are some parts of the county that had high participation and then other parts that had low participation then that would warp the results um so that that's a, like potentially an issue in um, san juan county where um covid was hitting the navajo reservation very hard and they just stopped going out because you know it was one of like the, one of the worst covid areas in the country um but you know in a c- county that's roughly divided between you know navajo and non-navajo populations if if the navajos didn't participate in the census that you know this is going to have a bad effect on drawing district lines here so well it's interesting because you mentioned san juan county and they did some districting stuff too and 
I guess you've got some oversight in this process because there's a thing called the federal government who watches over. Because that was kind of an incident down there. It really dramatically shifted the politics of the county in a way. That, that's right. Yeah. The, um, yeah. I mean, San Juan County has a very interesting history that's not, you know, really replicated anywhere else. You know, there was a voting rights case in the 80s where they were compelled to switch from at-large to districts. And that was to give um, the Navajo population, which was a minority at that time, um, a chance to win at least one out of three commission seats. And then the later court case, which was, you know, I, I won't try to summarize it in detail, no, but I mean, they forced them to redraw the districts again because now the pop Navajo population, at least according to the 2010 census numbers, it was a slight majority, and so they should have a you know a shot at winning two out of three commission seats and that's that's what happened yeah, it was kind of a, i always say i mean not to use it in any sort of derogatory way but it was there and the cowboys lost their place and the indians took over in politics in san juan county in a sense or the natives you know i mean yeah no no yeah it was it was obviously a very big change in, in san juan county that's probably and, and good so for us. they they also are going to have to you know I, I think it is it is good for grand county because i i think the new democratic slash native majority on the um County Commission has been very willing to collaborate with Grand County on, on Spanish Valley issues. Yeah, and that's, I mean, obviously, that's another districting thing that is, you know, has huge implications on our county. We're not going to go there today. We're going to okay. try and focus on districting. But I, I have to ask this. I mean, you can just comment on this as a commissioner. I mean, obviously, we all live in this state together. And I'm just wondering, you know, as this redistricting goes on, I mean, I understand the county needs and such. And I just have to ask the question because you're our leader, one of our leaders, what are we going to do about the state situation here? Because it seems like our state designation in a districting zone is so... You mentioned you don't want to split streets down the middle. That's exactly what we have in Moab at the state level. Yeah, no, that, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So, so 10 years ago when this, we did statewide redistricting, there was a really egregious gerrymander that affected Grand County where they split us in half. You know, so we're, you know, we're a tiny town in the middle, you know, surrounded by unpopulated areas. You know, is it really necessary to, to do that? Um, and so I, I think that the county is going to, you know, unfortunately, we really just have sort of moral persuasion. There's, it's, you can't win a court case saying that there was a political gerrymander. The Supreme Court recently said that political gerrymanders are just fine, more or less, unfortunately. But I, but I think we can um, try to influence that. We can just, you know, just point out that, um, you know, we have common interests here, and so we should you know, be unified within one state house district. Um, but, you know, one of the, I probably there's not time to get into it, but. Oh, we good. Okay. Well, you know, there's. I'll there's tell been, you. <laughs> you know, my, my day job, my um, full-time job is, is a mathematician. And in the la over the last 10 years, there's been a lot of mathematical research into gerrymandering, and in particular detecting gerrymandering, being able to say in an objective way whether something has been gerrymandered or not. And I think some of those tools could be um, brought to bear to the state. In, in particular, what you, I'm, I'm sim oversimplifying just a little bit, but you can get a computer to draw districting maps for the state of Utah, state house districts, and, and you basically tell it, you know, try to make sure the populations are equal and don't split up a city or a county if you don't have to. <laughs> and then it'll generate 10,000 such maps. Really? And, and I think what will happen if we do the experiment is that we'll say, okay, of those 10,000 maps, you know, 9,999 did not split Grand County in half. And one did. And, and what, maybe one did, or maybe zero did, you know. So that, and I think it follows that if the, if the, um, if the state legislature is taking a partisan blind approach to redistricting, they would never in a million years split Grand County in half. The only way that can happen is if you're 
letting politics enter the redistricting process. I think so. that was a great way to put that. And, you know, I mean, I always I was kind of thinking about, you know, what is it like to be a commissioner or a councillor in Moab, you know, in Grand County? And what do you have to deal with? And, you know, in so many ways, I've always used this as a, as a praising notion for the community that we always vote. Like, my God, Moab votes like it was the first election ever and they're the first time to ever vote. I mean, the percentage is exceptionally high. But in a way, that voice of voting can be your ally or your enemy because once you're in office, they might not stop niggling with everything you do as a commissioner. Or when you need help upstate, those voices that have been so forceful in our community of late that have you know, actually pushed you know, changes, you know, pretty major changes and made things happen, that those voices, if they were heard in the state house, would they have an impact? Or do they just rely on your lone voices or seven-person commission to be heard as opposed to... How many people voted in the last election? 4,000? So if, what I'm saying is could the community help the commission redis, you know, redo the state lines if they were vocal with the state? Um, yeah, I, I, th I think they could. And I think that, that applies to this particular issue or any statewide issue. In my, in my, I'm, I'm certainly not a seasoned hand at the state legislature, but I've watched them in action a fair amount over the last few years. And I think they do respond somewhat to... Um, to citizen input. I, I think a lot of people who send an email to a state legislature will often get a personal reply. And that would never happen if you emailed someone in Congress. They get too many emails. But the Utah State Legislature really? is few enough emails that they actually, I think they actually read a, a lot of them get read and a lot of them get replied to. Well, I think, you know, it's interesting because that is a big part of the democratic process, this ability to express your views and send them in written form to your elected officials. And it's their obligation to at least read them, whether they agree or not is entirely different. But it does allow that process of democracy to happen. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really important part of it. And, that, and that's also true locally. I, I think in the earlier part of your question, you were asking <laughs> you if, it was, if it was a, you know, if, yeah. if it was a, a pain in the butt to have, you know, so many engaged citizens, um, you know, nagging as a ministers. And it absolutely isn't. I mean, I, I think we can't do a good job unless we know what our citizens think. And our citizens are very diverse. So it's and vocal. not and vocal, yeah, but it's not enough to listen to just you know a half dozen people. You know, there's a lot of variety in the community, and we want to hear from everybody. That doesn't mean we're always going to agree, but I, we at least, or at least I, at least, um, I, I, I think all of us. Do you think if if we were one district? I mean, obviously the county one is. We're all going to still be here in a way, but the read if it's something were to happen at the state level, it would have quite a dramatic effect if we kind of just went. Do you think that would help Grand County and the city of Moab in a way that if we were just back in one district again at the state level, it might help get I, some traction? I think it might help, but it's, it, it is an interesting question because um, right, right now we are, we, are a, we're, we have two basically, actually if you count South Spanish you know, on the San Juan County line, we actually have three state house members who have you know, whose districts overlap Spanish Valley, Greater Spanish Valley, and two two of them overlapping the Grand County part, and so you might argue if you're very optimistic, this hey we've got two representatives instead of just one, um, and it, it is true that you know when it you know when it suits their purposes you know both Christine Watkins and. Um, Oh, I'm bl blanking on the radio. Carl Albrecht. Yeah, thank you. It's okay. But make, make sure Carl's not listening to this. Um, <laughs> it's all recorded. Yeah. Um, you know, they're both willing to help us out. But but it's also true that both of those people can get easily reelected, even if they get zero votes in Grant County. Well, I and, and I think, yeah. but if you look at the way the um, state house districts were maybe 10 or 20 years ago, it was very different because you had San Juan Grand, Carbon, and Emory basically being one district. And back in those days, Carbon County was a lot more Democratic. San Juan County and Grand have always been. And so we actually had Democratic, um, you know, not that that's 
only thing. But we, it was, I think I think the state representatives had to pay attention to Moab because we were a significant fraction of their votes. And and I think if, if we're unified with one 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 state house district, um, it doesn't does you know we will still be a minority of the district, but we'll be a minority that's about twice the size as we are now, and it'll double our influence. I did understand. I heard that um, Christine Watkins, who's my I think you live on the you live on the west side of Moab or Main Street. Uh, no, I live east. East side, so I don't know who is east side. So I think it's Carl Albrecht yeah. on the east side. I'm on the west side. It's Christine. No, I, no, it's the other way, way around. around or other way around. So I did. I, I heard that when Christine, she was, I, I guess she was a school teacher, worked for the school district in Price, and at one point she was a Democrat, and then they redistricted everything, and she cashed her Democratic ticket in and said, became a Republican and came back to the same seat. So it just, it just kind of symbolizes some of the strange things that happen in the state of Utah in the hive. You know? yeah. <laughs> just, I mean, that's a kind of... A, that's yeah, a, also our, our, um, our congressional representative, John Curtis, I think was um, chair of the Utah, Tam- Utah County Democratic Party at one point and then switched parties and got elected mayor of Provo and the, you know, the rest is well, history. Jason Chavis was uh, Michael Dukakis' son-in-law and it worked right. on Dukakis's Democratic presidential campaign. Uh, oh, I have not heard that. No, I heard it. It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, if you want to become a politician, I guess yeah. you become a Republican in Utah. <laughs> At the but, but but I think it does. I mean, I think that sort of fluidity between parties um, reminds me of, a, of I think a very important point about Grand County is that the the largest what's the biggest party in Grand County and it, the answer is unaffiliated. And until just a few years ago, over more than half the registered voters had no political official political affiliation. Now it's down to a little bit below fifty percent, but it's still bigger than you know either the Republican or Democratic Party you know voter registration. And so I think a lot of people living in the county don't strongly identify with the political party and, and we just need to keep that in mind you know and i and i it makes sense you know lo- local issues about housing and taxes and you know they they often cut across I- ideological lines talking of districts we, um we mentioned the state district we mentioned the local districts john curtis when he was in town um i, I went to a number of his town halls just to hear and ask him questions actually it's that's what democracy is all about i guess and he mentioned he was kind of concerned about the redistricting because he was really he actually said he was really worried that he would lose Moab because he loves representing Moab as a congressman. And that was his words. And he would fight tooth and nail to make sure that he could keep Moab on his radar because he values. And we've and I have to give honor to the you know, you're new in office, but Mary's done a phenomenal job in that office. And so is Emily at the, at the city kind of working with those federal agencies, because my goodness, we need their help here. I mean, they are the land barons, are they not, in our county? Yeah, no, I, I think relationships with congressional representatives and federal land-managed agencies is very important, and people like Mary and Emily have you know, done a great job keeping those ties and you know, developing those relationships. Back, back to redistricting for a moment. Um, it's, at some point, I should mention what this website is where people can go. And it is um, portal, P-O-R-T-A-L, dot okay. Utah dash mapping.org so portal.utahmapping.org and there's a hyphen between utah and mapping um but we've hopefully we'll be getting that address out there and over the coming weeks and months people will we'll ensure the radio station puts that information on these show notes for today's show which will be podcast for those that didn't catch it today if they are looking for that information just so you know that too we're all we're all in it together we're your communications device up here at kzmu being the only local radio station so um what else? I mean, what, what should people expect in the next few weeks? Well, um, I, think, I think we're going to try to, I don't have a date yet, unfortunately, but we're going to try to do like a little training session for how to use the software to draw your own districts. Because again, I think, 
I think the good thing about citizen participation is, um, you know, one, we might get some good ideas from districting maps, but also it, it just allows people to better understand the, the trade-offs and complexities of drawing district lines. Um, and so instead of, you know, kibitzing vaguely from a distance, they, they can really get their hands dirty trying to draw their own maps. And, and, and I think that this makes people understand it better. Um, eventually, you know, looking at the months ahead, I think we'll try to put together, you know, maybe a dozen candidate maps. Some of those could be generated by, you know, we've engaged some consultants who do districting around the whole country. They can use like computer algorithms to generate some maps. We'll have um, citizens and cheaper you know, <laughs> us, you know, sub submit some maps. Yeah. And then, but, but then once we have a, a dozen or so maps, the, the question is, um, you know, we, we, we can assess all of them should probably presumably have, you know, equal or close to equal population. We'll assess them for do they good, do a good job of not splitting apart neighborhoods. And then I, I think what people are mostly interested in is what, how are they in terms of partisan balance? And, and I think we'll take public input on that. In particular, we'll take public input from, you know, the Repu local Republican Party, the local Democratic Party. And they might say, okay, of those 12 maps, we think these three are bad for Republicans or bad for Democrats. And then what we can do is say, okay, well, those are the extreme maps. Let's not choose one of those. Let's take one of the six or so that are left in the middle. Hopefully that's a map that everyone can agree is not especially partisan, but doesn't have a, a lot of partisan bias and, we'll, and the commission will select consensus building something like that yeah i always like to point this out in a good democracy and it's good to take note of this all of for all of us here that in good democracy you bring everybody to the table to kind of solve a problem whatever it might be in some ways you never get everything you want but every get everybody gets a little piece of the action so you know that's a that's a good way to look at you know how this all works is that you just try and you know just make you encourage more people to be involved in the process, but at the same time, you know, make those decisions because you ultimately the commission will have to make the decision of which map they choose. That, that's right, and and my my hope is that we'll have at least one, perhaps several maps that no one's objecting strongly to, and we'll, and we'll pick one of those. That that's how I hope it's going to work out. We got a couple of minutes. You got your website. Just want to ask: Is there any other information that you're eager to see as a mathematician and a commissioner from the census data? Um, you know, of course, it's always interesting to see, you know, at what rate Grand County's population has been growing. Um, you know, for many years, it was about 1% per year. Um, you know, I, I think the, the dem you know, the detailed demographic information that comes with the census is always interesting to look at. So th those are some of the things. But, but mostly, I just want to see the, the official population numbers at the census block level so that we can move forward with What's your, what is your gut feeling on that? Do you feel that, you know, I mean, obviously we had a discussion before you came on the air with um, John from Crest the Butte about gentrification. And these people are not necessarily primary residents. I mean, they may have a home here, but it's not necessarily their, where they live. Um, mm -hmm. So do you think that will have an impact on our overall population in this sense? So it might be actually kind of concerning that we're maybe even seeing a drop in population? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. The, the way the census, my understanding is they really want to count, like if, you know, who on April 20th or whatever the magic day is, you know, who was in Grand County. And it, if you were just there one month for a part-time job, you get counted as part of Grand County. Um, and other, there, there are counties where over half or, you know, some very large fraction of the um, census population is prisoners, you know, who are not allowed to vote. But they still get counted in the census in terms of representation. Sure. Um, Non-U.S. citizens are counted. I mean, that's a controversial thing. That the Trump been, administration yeah. wanted to, to not count them, but traditionally they have been counted. And so... It's, yeah, so since it's kind of a funny thing, I don't think any of that's going to have a big effect in Grand County, though. Yeah. But you've got a lot of work ahead of you. You've got a lot going on on your plate. You've got 
the general plan for the county. Potent that's uh, that's coming up this year too, isn't that right? Yeah. And then potentially, I've heard rumors that there may be some discussions of a lands bill, maybe at some point. Yeah. No, we're beginning to think about that, and have had some preliminary conversations with Kurt John Curtis's office. Now you've had the hard part. How's it going? I mean, how are the first six months in office treating you? You've been there since it's all just over six months now. It's it's close to what I was. You know, I w I was um, very involved in local government for a few years before getting on the county commission, so it was not a big shock or surprise. You know, it's more or less as, as I expected. Um, I've you know, I, I think the I've got a lot of great people, both county staff and, and other county commissioners to work with, so that that makes it nice. Um, you know, sometimes things don't go as fast as you would like, and that's frustrating. Or sometimes there's an important problem, but it, it's just hard to think of a simple quick solution you know sometimes they're hard so i guess there was some good news for the county coffers last week though you seem to have blown away all the budget projections and brought in zillions of dollars more money than you anticipated yeah it's you know covid's a funny thing and as as you well know um you know <laughs> it's kind of shut down tourism entirely for a couple of months but then it brought it back well with yeah. difficulty because there weren't wasn't enough workforce kevin <laughs> nobody no. wanted to work again and that's you know as you know is you know, an issue we can't solve in the next five yeah. minutes, but yeah. But anyway, yes, yeah, so all our tax revenues are up. So, um, and, and I, I think we going into COVID because of the uncertainty, we had we had sort of made worst case assumption. We were assuming that we get so the difference between our pessimistic projections and the the better reality is pretty large. Well, that was echoed at the city too. So it should be good news for the residents, I would imagine, because obviously taxes and property taxes and such those are direct impact on the local people and. <laughs> You know, I would yeah, love no, to we, see. We, we, try to, we try to get by on sales taxes as, mu as much as possible. And in many and communities, that would be a very regressive. But, but when you're in a tourist community like, like Moab, it, it's a way to have visitors you know, fund a large chunk of county government. So more visitors means more m money for the government then? Uh, it means more, ta more sales tax revenue. But for every dollar of sales tax that we bring in, I, I don't know the exact percentage, but it might be you know, 70 cents is played by visitors and only 30 percent is local. So it's like a, you know, kind of a matching grant program. You know, if, if we were to instead try to shift away from sales taxes and go to property taxes instead, that would fall more heavily on the local population. Okay. So that, right. that, that's why we prefer the sales tax. Well, in this season of taxes, I'll, I'll, I'll do my public comment because I know that I was a big concern that nobody spoke up. And this is not official, but give us all a rebate, eh? So nice. Instead of raising our taxes at the county, maybe just give us a break one year. You know, just one year. That's all I ask. You know, it's been going up every year I've been here. That's my mind. <laughs> so, <laughs> I appreciate all you do, Kevin. It's a it's a really tough job. And um, having never been in office, I, I I try and empathize for what you have to go through in serving this very diverse, very vocal, very difficult to take care of everybody community. <laughs> so thanks for all your efforts and hard work. Well, it really is appreciated. Um, th thank you, Howard, and thanks for keeping these great shows running here at KBZMU. We'll keep, it, we'll keep you on our radar at the county there and anything that's coming up down there. We'll be, it's great to have you back in the studio too. It's really nice to have live guests and appreciate you being here with me, both vaxxed and unmasked. <laughs> and long, and our, our, it looks like our recovery is looking really good in Moab and I have to commend again the team of Moab that made this happen because it wasn't any one person. It took everybody here to make us come through this in one piece or another. So. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't... You know, I'm, I'm not convinced we're out of the woods yet. I mean, it, it is looking better this month than it was last month, but there are places in the country that have had flare-ups of COVID, and sure. it could happen with with our large tourist population. It could easily happen to us. So, Vaccinate. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah. I, <laughs> That's I do, my message. I hope people will get vaccines. You know, it's yeah. great to be walking around without a mask, but um, 
you know, let's try to and keep see it that smiles. way. Yeah. I actually see my commissioner smiling. It's really good. <laughs> I'm smiling too, as you can tell. Kevin, I'll let you go. We're going to jump into the news here and further broadcasting. And I hope the listeners out there do get involved in this public process. It's your, it's your district, so be involved. Be, be Moabites. That's kind of, I expect that of Moabites. I'd be disappointed if they weren't involved. Kevin Walker, County Commissioner, mathematician. And um, a great honor to have him in the studio. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to hosting again in the near future.